0: following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, good morning to all of you watching online, all of our church family in Los Angeles, and I know there are many of you guys around the country that are tuning in, and we are grateful. Andy, can I give this to you? I know There are many of you guys tuning in around the country, and we are grateful for you. And uh, we hope you're well this morning. And this has been quite a week for us uh, here in L.A. I know around the country, many of you guys are in ministry. Uh, We've gone from zero to 60 in literally a matter of days here. And uh, we are experiencing something that really is unprecedented in our lifetime. And as I was over here worshiping this morning while we were uh, worshiping together, uh, I remembered Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And I'm reminded this morning that even in the midst of Chaos in our country, God can still create something good. And we're believing that today. And so, for those of you who have Sunday morning routines um, and you're normally in a church gathering somewhere in our city or around the country, I know today has required adaptability and flexibility. But I think that's a good word for the church, not just our church, but the church globally and the church in America to have this spirit of flexibility and adaptability. And as a staff and a leadership team and pastors, uh, the decision for us was difficult, but it was really easy. It was the wise decision for us to make. And we just want to say this morning that we are in full support of our governor. We're in full support of local and state officials. Our mayor here in Los Angeles, who declared gatherings over 50 people on Friday, need to be shut down. We are in full support of that. It was a difficult decision, but an easy decision because it was the wise decision for us. And the reason why it was a wise decision for us is because we as a church want to be part of the solution. We don't want to be part of the problem. We don't want to contribute to the problem. And we can contribute to the solution by not gathering for a few weeks together. um, We are willing to do so. This is a reality for us um, in our city and around the country that in our lifetime we've never experienced before. I saw someone post on Facebook yesterday that this is unprecedented. The reality is this this really isn't unprecedented. This day has happened before. And if you know your history or medical history, in 1918, the Spanish flu in the fall of 1918 uh, just infected the world, literally. And at a time when The world population was six times smaller than it is today. Fifty million people died from the Spanish flu. And at that time, in the fall of 1918, churches all over America closed down, some for a month. Some churches closed down for multiple months at a time. So this day has happened before. But in 2020, we have the benefit and the advantage of technology. Praise the Lord. And so while we are separate physically today, we are still gathered spiritually, praying for one another. We have the ability to know what the needs are, we can care for one another, and we're going to do that as a church. And whether that's three weeks or whether that's a month, whether that's two months, and we are preparing for that reality, and I think we need as a church to prepare for that reality, we're preparing for that. And it's a great reminder today, one of our staff members said on Tuesday morning in our staff meeting that this is a great reminder that the church is not a building, the church is a people, and we're experiencing that today, and I am excited for what God is going to do over the coming days, the coming weeks, and if needed, the coming months. So I I think this is a time for for a lot of clarity. Um, I'm on a text message with a lot of pastors and traded messages with a lot of pastors this week. And I'm reminded that a moment like today is a moment that we need clarity. And we don't need pat answers. We don't need uh, um, uh, encouragement of hope from various sources. We need to point people to Jesus. And if you're listening today and watching today, whether you're live or you're listening later, I want you to hear We're going to try to offer you hope today, and we really believe there's only one place we can point you to where there's real, lasting hope, and we're going to try to do that today. But as we try to bring some clarity, I'm not a medical doctor, obviously, but I think it's important in an age of um, incredible news and, 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 and falsities and everything else that can be posted online, I thought it would be good to start us this morning just with some clarity about what we're facing. And so I just wanted to quote a few things from Dr. Miguel Nunez, who's an infectious doctor. He's originally from New Jersey, about the reality of what it is that we're facing. And then I want to share three truths that I believe are important for us. Three faith truths in the middle of a crisis. A couple of things about the COVID-19. COVID-19, according to Dr. Nunez, is a part of a family of viruses. We've known about them since the 1960s. They're known as the coronavirus there are 69 species of the coronavirus, seven of which can infect and affect humans. The rest affect animals. The viruses have been around since the 1960s, but it wasn't until the early 2000s that we really began to know something about them. And if you remember in 2002, SARS began to infect people around the world, and we first became familiar with the coronaviruses. The SARS mortality rate was between 95 and 10%. 10 years later after SARS, we had the experience of another coronavirus, and it was called MERS. Uh, The the MERS virus began in the Middle East. There were about 2,400 cases in the Middle East, and there was a 35% mortality rate for those who were infected by that virus. The first time we heard about the COVID-19 was December, just a few months ago. It began in the Wuhan province of China, and as of yesterday afternoon, The World Health Organization tells us that 151 countries and territories have been affected or they've had cases in those countries and those territories, Uh, approximately 2,500 cases in the US. Obviously, this is growing daily and literally hourly. Uh, As of yesterday afternoon, 50 people had died in our country from the coronavirus, 156,000 cases around the world, half of them. Uh, people have already recovered. Half are still dealing with it. 92% of those cases, we've been told, are mild um, and not critical. The remainder of those are critical cases. What's important, too, as we try to bring clarity this morning, is that the average mortality rate is 3.7%. The, but, but what I found interesting as I read this week and, and this weekend is that there was an article published by the New England Journal of Medicine that said the mortality rate could end up being as low as 1%. And I think that's important for us to bring clarity and reality to the situation. The mortality rate for the common flu is 0.1%. The CDC tells us that as many as 20 to 50,000 people in our country could die from the common flu. And the last thing I'd say this morning to bring some reality and clarity is that Vaccine experts, I know we're seeing reports online and there's one in Canada and other places, but vaccine experts are telling us it could take up to 12 months for us to find a vaccine for this virus. There's one thing that's true. Scientists all over the world are now putting their attention on creating a vaccine for this virus. So the question before us this morning is, so how should we as believers how should we as the body of Christ respond to a time like what we're experiencing? On one hand, I think it's we can rightfully say, we can rightfully say that we have a reason for our concerns to be justified. The situation is serious. On the other hand, as believers who trust in what we call the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the control of God, the ability to affect things in our world. As believers who trust in the sovereignty of God, on the other hand, we also believe in the certainty of death. We can also say, and may we say very clearly this morning, we are not afraid. We do not fear this morning. We have our trust and we have our hope in a God who is in Control. Maybe you read this this week. I thought it was worthy of of repeating again. Maybe you didn't read it, but I saw these words this week from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a series of articles that were eventually composed into a book in 1948. And these series of articles that became a book eventually became known as the book Present Concerns Journalistic Essays. And so 75 years ago, C.S. Lewis's generation was facing the, the potential of the atomic bomb. And as they're facing, the world is facing the potential of the atomic bomb. C.S. Lewis penned these words. And and it's important to note whenever we get to atomic bomb, we can replace it with coronavirus. This is what he said. This is a great reminder as we start this morning. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb or the coronavirus. How are we to live in an age of viruses? I'm tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age, when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, C.S. Lewis says, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, You and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was invented and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. The last thing he says is this is the point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by the coronavirus, let that coronavirus come and find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. I think in a time like this, we need real conversation. We don't need reality TV. We don't need exaggerated statements. We really need to be pointed to hope this morning, and I want to do that. I want to point us to a few realities that we need to be reminded of today. And if you're home, you want to take notes, the first reality is this. The first reality is this. Life is really uncertain. Life is really uncertain, and at times, life can really seem absurd. Last year, our church went through a series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we called that series, This Absurd Life. We based that series on a word that we found in the book of Ecclesiastes that's oftentimes translated vanity. It can also be translated absurd. And so the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says this in the very opening words of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 1-2, he says vanity of vanities. In other words, absurdity of absurdities, says the preachers. Absurdity of absurdities. All of life is absurd. You know, I don't know about you, but in times of crisis, there, there are things that rise in my life. There are things that come to the surface in my life, and there are things that I'm reminded of that are in my life that just seem absurd absurd. There are things that I'm pursuing, the things that I'm putting my hope in, things that I'm trusting in, things that I, that I hope are going to secure my future, that I'm reminded in times like this that those, those things are just absurd. Maybe this is a time that God has ordained. Maybe this is a time that God has put together where it's a time where we focus our attention on some things that really aren't important. The reality is all of us are going to have some extra time over the coming weeks the coming days, maybe even in the coming month. And maybe this is a time that God wants to refocus us. Maybe all of us have this moment to say, maybe that sports team that I put my hope in, I'm guilty. Maybe that social media status that I've been pursuing. Maybe that stuff that I've been accruing. Maybe those things really are absurd in my life. And maybe this is a time that God is calling us to some things that really are important in life. And so maybe in this unprecedented time in our lifetime, we need to redirect and refocus on some things that are important. The first reality is that life is really uncertain, and at times it can really seem absurd. But here's the second reality. Here's the second reality. The second reality is this. I'm really not in control. I'm really not in control. You know, there are a lot of things in my life, in your life, that we really are in control over. I I can change the temperature on my thermostat from another state. I can be sitting in my office and transfer money from one bank account to another. I can be anywhere in the world and I can use our Ring app and see who's sitting on my front porch. There are things in my life that I can control. There are things in your life that you can control. We can make good choices. We can make healthy choices. We can eat healthy. There are things in our life that we can control. But crises have a way of bringing this illusion of control up to the surface. If you uh, if you've been to the grocery store this week, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so and so um, the hoarding of supplies this week, and all of us have been affected by the toilet paper crisis in some way. It's it's interesting that three months ago, the Nintendo Switch and and AirPods were like the hottest thing on the market. Now it's toilet paper and hand sanitizer and water. And if you've been if you've been to the grocery store this week, you understand. Th- th- this predicament that we 're in, the hoarding of supplies in a way, in a way, brings to the surface this idea that, that we 're trying to be prepared for everything that life is going to bring us. But in some ways, it's an expression now listen to me of our desire to control our situation, of our desire to control our scenarios. One pastor said, fear has a way of exposing the idols in our life. And maybe this morning, maybe in the middle of this crisis this week, when everything has gone crazy, maybe the idol of control in your life has been exposed. Maybe you realize today that I'm really not in control. And by the way, if you weren't one of the first ones that were running out and you were mass hoarding toilet paper, well, now you are affected by it and you realize that you're not in control because now you need toilet paper and it may not even be available. So all of us have been affected by this. Uh, in, in, in closing gatherings, in closing Sunday morning gatherings, in closing our schools and in, in shutting down events that are larger than a certain number around our country, we want to say we affirm those precautions as a church. We affirm our government. We affirm our local leaders. We also are taking precaution. We're shutting down our facility. We've taken precaution to do all the physical things necessary to keep our hands and our faces clean. And I think all of these things, they're right and they're necessary and we need to do them. But listen to me, church, don't be confused this morning. I'm confident that we believe as Americans we're going to contain the virus. And I believe we will. I believe the virus is going to be contained around the world. But hear me out. But there will be another virus. There will be another SARS. There will be another MERS. There will be another Ebola. There will be another bird flu. There will be another another swine flu. There will be another Zika. There will be another H1N1. There will be another coronavirus. There will be another virus. In fact, in 2009, when the H1N1 killed 2,000 people around the world, it was not the first time we had seen the H1N1 virus. In 1918, the Spanish flu was a version of the H1N1 virus. That virus killed 50 50 50 million people around the world. The reality is, yes, we are going to contain the virus. The alternate reality is, but there's going to be another. And it's a reminder that ultimately, we're not in control. There are things that we can do and good things we can do, but ultimately, we're not in control. It's also a reminder this morning that life is brief. That life is fragile. I was, I'm on this Facebook group where there are literally hundreds of thousands of people and yesterday I, I, I saw this guy post and it struck me, especially in the midst of this virus, in, in the midst of this pandemic, it struck me, he said, he posted how he had just bought his 10th, rental home. And and he said, this is my retirement plan. And somebody commented how it was a great retirement plan. And he went on to lay out what his retirement plan would be. He's going to retire next year. And on Monday, he's going to play golf. Tuesday, he's going to go fishing. Wednesday, he's going to take off. Thursday, he's going to play golf. Friday, he's going to go fishing again. This is literally what he said. And then on the weekends, I'm going to take care of things around the house. And from this month to this month, we're going to go down south. From this month to this month, this is what he said. We're going to travel around the country in an RV. And from this month to this month, we are going to uh, sail around the world in our boat. And then he closed his, uh, his caption with, I've got it all figured out. <laughs> and I thought in the middle of this crisis, I'm not sure that that's a statement I would want to make because in the moment you think you've got it figured out, in the moment where you've secured your preferred future, in those moments, those are the moments when the stock market, market crashes. Those are the moments when you acquire a a fatal disease. Those are the moments when life comes crashing down. These are moments that remind us, I'm really not in control. Life is brief. Life is fragile. And we know that. If you're a believer this morning, you don't have to be surprised by the chaos that's happening. Why? Because we already understand this. We already know life is brief. Life is fragile. How do we know that? It's what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 103. The life of mortals is is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind or COVID-19 blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. First Chronicles chapter 29 says our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Job chapter 7, Job is in the middle of a crisis. He says my days come and go swifter than the clicking of knitting needles and then the yarn runs out and unfinished life. It reminds us that life can end just like that. The days of our life, they pass so quickly. The days of our life, in many ways, are out of our control. The moment we think we've secured our preferred future is the moment that life comes crashing down. Can I say to you this morning, maybe you're like Job and you're in the middle of a crisis this week. And maybe you've experienced fear and you've experienced panic and maybe you've experienced anxiety and maybe you're in the middle of what's going on around our world and maybe you're asking well, well, then, well then knowing all of that knowing that life is not in my control knowing that life is brief life is fragile knowing that life can be absurd at times then where is hope? maybe you're like Job this morning and you're asking in the middle of the cry, then where is hope? How does this give me hope, Pastor Matt? Well, here's the third reality that I want to posture before you. And the third reality is this. I really don't have to fear because hope really is possible. I really don't have to fear because hope really is possible. And maybe you're watching this morning or maybe you're watching at a a rebroadcast time and and you're saying, "This, this just does not make sense to me. Maybe you're wondering how you can be reminded that life is absurd And how you can be reminded that you don't have life under your control. And maybe you're wondering this, morning, how can that really be hopeful? And I just want to say to us this morning that this is only a healthy reminder if you know the one who is in control. This is only a hopeful reminder if you trust in the one who really is in control. If I'm not in control, Pastor Matt, then who is? Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, this is the end of the Bible. One of of Jesus' apostles has been exiled to an island, and this is his experience. Then God placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am, listen to what he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. In other words, John, who's writing the book of Revelation, in other words, whoever you are today going through this experience, in other words, before this moment of fear that you are currently experiencing, God says, I was there. After this moment of fear that you are currently experiencing, God says to you today, I will also be there. God is saying I have been through these moments before. I have been with you specifically in these moments before. I've been with others in these moments before, and I will be there and I'm going to be present with you. You have to trust me that I've got your best interest in mind. This is what the word promises. This is what the Bible promises. This is the God who says he's in control. This is what he promises from Isaiah 41. So do not fear the scripture says for I I am with you and do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. When you think through the New Testament and you read the Gospels, you see Jesus telling his disciples quite frequently, do not fear. And so every time we see these disciples in this moment where where they're in trouble, what we always see is the disciples begin to express themselves in ways that demonstrate they're fearful, they're worried, they're panicked, they're anxious about things. And it's in those moments when Jesus comes along and he says to them, do not fear. Can I say a couple things to you this morning? Number one, if you are experiencing anxiety and fear, and, and what's happening around you has you worried today. Can I say to you, you're not alone. You're not alone. We see the apostles, we see the disciples who, who were walking with Jesus, presently with Jesus, had the same experience. There are people around you, people who are watching, maybe even people in this auditorium today who are experiencing the same things. You are not alone. Can I say something to you secondly, though? But you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay in that place. Worry and anxiety and fear, they don't have to be the overwhelming description of your life this week. They don't have to be the overwhelming description of your life and your response next week as well. Jesus is always coming alongside his disciples in these moments and he says, do not fear. You're watching and you say, pastor, I know that Jesus says that. I know the Bible says do not fear 365 times. I know the Bible is filled with these commands that we should not fear. I know the Bible encourages me towards hope, but pastor, how do I get to that place? Well, let me say this. First of all, it begins with you trusting Jesus with salvation. Now, if you're a believer this morning, please do not tune out and if you 're not a believer this morning, please tune in. listen, it begins with you trusting Jesus for salvation. What does that mean, Pastor Matt? Well, simply it means it means you come to Jesus and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and what 's important about that moment is that Jesus begins to repair what 's broken between you and God now if you 're a believer this morning, do not tune out because here 's the implication. The salvation of your soul is not simply God taking your sins and putting them in the, in the trash can. It's not simply depositing your sins in the deleted items. What's happening when you come to God for salvation, yes, he is forgiving you of your sins, but also it's an invitation to the living God. It's an invitation to the spirit of the living God to take up residence In your life, it's an invitation to the Spirit of God to walk presently with you right here today, right there where you're watching, right there where you're seated. When you ask Jesus to save your life, it's an invitation for Him to forgive your sins, but also to be with you right here where you are today. And so, when you ask Jesus to save you and to come into your life, the implication is that He's going to walk presently with you. And the Bible tells us it's in those moments of God's walking presently with us, that peace, that's what the Bible says, that passes everything that blows our mind. It's in those moments when God is available to us that peace is possible and hope is possible today. And when the spirit of the living God walks presently with you and the spirit of the living God is available to you, then you have access to that peace. This week I've watched And I've just had a conviction in my own soul today, particularly about this message today. And I've had a conviction, not only for myself, but a hope for pastors around the country and around the world who are experiencing everything we are experiencing at Story City Church. I've had this conviction that this is not a moment. This is a moment that we really need to point people to hope. And so I watched this week as people talked about do not fear. I watched as people on Facebook pointed people to resources and things and said, this is how you can have peace. I watched... People post things on Facebook that said things like good things. That said things like, you know, just turn your phone off and and have a moment where you stop watching the news. I've watched people post things like, you just you just need to, you just need to slow your breathing down. I've watched people that said you just you just need to go outside and and, and be and feel the sun. I've watched people say just write down things that. You're grateful for These are literally things that I've seen on social media. Enjoy a conversation with a friend. You should get some sleep. You should laugh. You should exercise or work out. Now, please hear me. P- please hear me. These are great practices. I commend them to you. I think they're great for all of us. But can I say to you, these are, there's a difference between a Band-Aid and a cure. And today, I don't want to point you to a band-aid. I want to point, to you, I want to point you to something that, that, that can and has the potential to be an eternal practice to bring your soul peace. Psalm chapter 94 says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Do you realize what the Scripture is pointing us to in moments like this? It's a reminder that God is our consolation. It's a reminder that His Word eases our anxiety. His Word can ease His fear like nothing else in my life. Do you understand that the relief of my anxiety is pressed out of me when I press my trust into Jesus? That's something we need to know today. The relief of my anxiety is pressed out of me when I press my trust into Jesus. In other words, the weight that I'm carrying, the, the fear and the anxiety that I'm carrying. In other words, when I'm experiencing that weight, I pass that weight on to the object of my trust. When, when crises hit and I'm experiencing all of those things, I take that anxiety, I take that worry, and I take that fear, and I literally put it in my hands and place it in Jesus' hands. Jesus, you take the weight of the anxiety. Here's why. Because God is not only willing and he's not only able, but he is a God who is asking us to pass the weight of our worries onto him. A lot of you guys, even some in this auditorium, I was having a conversation this morning about working out. I I, I don't work out as frequently, Jonah, as I used to, but I remember in high school, I don't, especially as much as Chris Revel does, but I, um, I, I used to work out in high school, and we would have these days in high school as a football team where we would... Where we would max out. I don't think that's what we call it anymore. Maybe maxing out, but you understand the principle. It's this moment where we've tried to figure out what's the maximum amount of weight that I can carry and I can handle in and of myself. And so we'd have these max out days. I, I'm proud to say my max out on the bench was 240 pounds, nowhere near there now, but, but, but I, we would have max out days, and every day that, that we would have max out days, I would lay down on the bench, and I would watch the weight get piled on to the sides of the bar, and, and I would lay down on the bench, and, and I just want to say to you, there was not a single day, there was not a single day that I worried about the weight coming off the rack And crushing my chest and killing me or whatever it could possibly do. There was not a single day that I was ever worried about the weight pressing down on me. Let me tell you why. His name was Coach O'Brien. Coach O'Brien was our offensive line coach. He was our strength and conditioning coach. He was an ox. He played college football. And every day during when we had these max outs, Coach O'Brien would be the one behind the bench... And when we would lift the weight off the rack and I would bring it down to to, to press the weight forward, there was never a day or a moment that I was worried the weight was going to do something to me because I knew Coach O'Brien and I trusted he could take the weight from me. And in those moments where, and by the way, there will be those moments, whether it's in the weight room or whether it's in life, where the weight is too much to handle and you need someone else to carry the weight. It's in those moments when we know who we can trust in, when we know who can carry the weight, it's in those moments when we pass the weight and transfer it on to God. It's in those moments when we can really know peace, hope, joy, purpose, and satisfaction in life. When you know who you trust in, when you know who is actually in control, when you know who can carry the weight, and when you know he's not only able, he's also willing. When you also know, he's also asking. Give me the weight. It's in those moments you can really know hope. I've said this to our church before. I'll say it again this morning, and I believe it with all of my heart. God has a supernatural way of carrying our burdens and never growing weary over it. Whatever you're carrying today, he can handle it. The scripture tells us in Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. You know this to be true, and maybe you've experienced it this week, but exhaustion has a way of confining you to a bed. It has a way of of putting you on the couch. It has a way of, of causing you to recluse from everything in life so that your body can recover. But the God that we read in the Bible tells us the description of that God is that the well of carrying your burdens never runs dry for God. He never needs a moment to recluse. He never needs a moment to peel away. That God and his well of being able to carry your burdens will never run dry. He never lacks the ability to take the weight of your anxiety. He never lacks the abundant ability to take your fear and your fatigue and to replace it with his strength and his hope and his joy. He never lacks that ability. He can do it for you today. He can do it for us as a country today. He can do it for us as a church today. He can do it for your family today. You can exhaust yourself, but you can never exhaust the grace and the mercy and the hope that God wants to give to you. I want to close here with some words that we've already read this morning in Psalm chapter 27. The psalmist David is experiencing some similar things. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Verse 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Now listen to what he says. This is what I hope you're saying today. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. In other words, all the days of your life, however many there are remaining. In the middle of crises, in the middle of anxiety, in the middle of everything we have the tendency to experience in these days. David said, my prayer is, I will experience your beauty. My eyes will not be focused on what's around me, but my eyes will be focused on you, God. He says in verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. May that be our prayer. The day of trouble, God, may you keep us safe in your dwelling. What does he mean by dwelling? He means his presence. The day of trouble, may you keep us safe in your presence. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. Now listen to how he closes and set me high upon a rock. This past Monday, my wife and I went on a hike in Brand Park here in Los Angeles. There's a point where you can get to, um, you just get to such a height that you literally can oversee the entire San Fernando Valley. It was a clear day, thankfully. These are the, those are the beautiful days in L.A. where we could not only see the San Fernando Valley to our right, but we could see all the way down to downtown Los Angeles. You could see out to the left, all the way out to the Inland Empire, There's something about being set high upon a rock. You know what it is? It brings clarity. You you experience reality. God's promise to us today is that in times like these, we come to him and say the same thing that David says. May your presence be my safety, God. And when you set me high upon a rock, may you clear my mind, give me hope, give me strength, give me joy. Now let me close by saying this. When God himself came to earth, When God himself came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus came to a world where there was a far more lethal, a far more deadly virus that had infected every man, every woman, every child on earth. And when he came, he didn't come wearing masks, he didn't come with sanitizer, he came in the midst of a virus that had infected the entire world, he lived and he served among sick people. He breathed the same air. He ate the same food. And the Bible tells us, the story of God tells us, He died in isolation apart from the people that meant the most to Him. The Bible also tells us that He died what seemed to be far away from His Father on a cross. And the Bible also tells us that He did so that He might provide the sick world a cure to this virus. The Bible calls sin. The cure that he offers, the scripture tells us, can heal us. The cure that he offers tells us it can give us eternal life and eternal hope. This is what Jesus' has promises in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though we may die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus says, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Have you been saved? Have you trusted your life to Jesus today? Can I say to you, I want to point you to Jesus today. Not what's going on around us, but in this moment, I want to point you to Jesus. Real hope, real trust, real faith, real joy. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. He's in control. He desperately loves you. And he's working all things for your good and his good. Now, can I say to you this morning, if you're experiencing some of what we've talked about today, fear, anxiety, worry, can I say you're not alone. Your experience is real. And as a church, we want to be available to you. And if that's your experience today, we want to be available to you in such a way that it's real and tangible that we can serve you and minister to you. And maybe you're online on Facebook. And if that's you today and you want to acknowledge that publicly, do so. There are staff members who are observing our chat today and responding. If you don't feel comfortable in chat today, you can message us either on Facebook. You can send an email to us, prayer at storycitychurch.com. We will receive those emails. If you'd like a pastor to call you, pray with you, give you some encouraging words, maybe even read scripture over you, we would be happy to do so. Lastly, if you're elderly and you live in Los Angeles, you have a need. We have people in our church that are mobilized and equipped and ready to reach out to you. We received texts over the last few days from people in our church that are willing and able and ready to do so. If you have a need and you're elderly, please reach out to us. We would love to serve you in that way. Now let me close with this verse and we'll be done and we're going to sing one more song. Psalm chapter 27, the end of the passage that David speaks to us about. In verse 13 and 14, David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Where? Not just in eternity. David says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can see God's goodness today. It's not just an eternal hope that I'm pointing you to. You can see the goodness of God today, this week. David says in the very last verse, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. God... We acknowledge today that you are in control. God, we acknowledge today that we are in the presence and in the company of others who are experiencing very real things. But God, in the midst of that reality, would you remind us of another reality? And that is, we really don't have to fear because hope really is available. God, we're not afraid in this season. We look to you as our source of joy and hope and satisfaction and peace. God, may this be a time as a church that you give us unimaginable reach, not just Story City, God, but the church all across the world, the church in our country. God, may you you use this time what, what some or the enemy may have intended for evil. God, we know you can work something good in this situation. So we believe in that God. We believe in that God who's sovereign and in control. Loves us and is working for our good. Amen.